KK. Notice I said y'all. Y'all, we, we, we on this southern track, you know. Speaking of, we miles well talk about this. <laughs> Everybody listening already is like, what the hell is going on? Well, you, mi- you, miles well, you miles well tell them. <laughs> okay, so Crystal was late and I called her out on it. And we were having our banter, joking around, texting. And I said, well, I'm making dinner already, so you might as well just come over for dinner. And she's like, I'm so confused. And, I, and then she got here, and I was like, might as well. And she's like, still a little confused. And you say, what do you say? Might as well. Might as well. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I looked to the family for, like, confirmation, co sign this for me. And Corbin did a little bit, I think. Yeah. Everyone else is just like, I don't care. I'm eating my tacos. Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't get much of an answer. But I've always said, like, might as well. Let's just do it. Like, I get, I like that sounds normal, but I've never seen it typed out as, like, miles as well. Or miles well. Yeah, miles well. You just never read it, I guess. I just never read it. Like, <laughs> I guess if I'm talking fast, I'm like, oh, I might as well do that. But, like, in my mind, it's might as well. Because <laughs> I, I read it, and I'm like, who's Miles? Miles is coming for dinner? Who's this? Well, she grew up in the fancy Macomb. <laughs> I grew up in Taylor Tucky, so y'all... <laughs> No offense, my Taylor friends. Our grammar, uh, speaking of, wait, speaking of Taylor, I hear from you that they're yes, often the Yes, they're links. now number 10. Um, they bumped up our listeners, so Taylor Tucky's moving up. Welcome. Welcome, y'all. You might as well be on this list. <laughs> might as well. Might as well. <laughs> All right, before people stop listening, um, we're going to move on. Yeah, yes. speaking of. So, we're drinking Mackinac Trail White Ibis. From Mackinac City. From Mackinac City. The one and only. Love that place. It has a little bit of a, a punch to it because, like, I only took a few sips and I'm, like, tiny bit feeling like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Um, while we like different kinds of wines, mine and Crystal's more go-to is Moscato or champagne or... Um, this is a Resling, which we do drink those too, but uh, it's, again, it's a white one. We tend to go to the white wines more than the red wine, which are usually a little darker for us, drier for us. Yeah, we, we lean more towards the sweeter side. This was gifted to us by Debbie Hartman from Lake Orion. Super fan. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Um, since I want to formally apologize since last week... I pretty much almost missed saying hello to Dax. Lo saved the day with that. So today, I want to give a big grand hello to the one and only Dax Shepard, our number one listener. Well, when we meet him and he remembers that episode last week, I'm like, it was me that didn't forget. I know. I know. I'm ashamed of myself. I can't live it down. But we're going to talk about somebody who had no shame. No shame in her game, that is for sure. So we're talking about the Eileen Wernos. Um, she is famous for a lot of stuff. So most of you know her from the movie Monster, the serial killer prostitute. But what you don't know is what drove her to this lifestyle and these series of bad choices. 
Oh, and they were a series, a series for sure. She was on a spree. So Eileen um, is actually from Rochester, Michigan. Surprisingly. Not like a great representation of Rochester, Michigan, if you guys don't know. Um, Very classy, unlike her. (laughs) We were just kind of like, oh, because it's so close to where we live. This story is terrible, I will say. Um, It involves rape, abuse, murder, all the things. But I also find it sad. And hear me out. I will get into the story, and then we can compare the thoughts. Eileen Ronos was born Eileen Carol Pittman in Rochester, Michigan, on February 29, 1956. Her mother, Diane, was born 1939, making her 14 years old when she married Eileen's father, who was 18, Leo Dale Pittman, on June 3, 1954. That's so young to be married. I know, like, can you imagine? 14 and 18. 14. I was like in Playing my Barbie room still. dancing to, what did you say? Playing Barbies still. Playing Barbies, yeah. I was dancing to Jonas Brothers like right. alone in my room, which nothing wrong with that. Not like I still do that or anything, but <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. On March 14th, 1955, Diane gave birth to Eileen's older brother, Keith, making her a mom at 15. Less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for a divorce. She gave Eileen up at the age of 16. Um, She never met her father as he was incarcerated at the time of her birth. Leo Dale Pittman was diagnosed with schizophrenia and he was later convicted for raping a seven-year-old girl. That is foul. Like, I mean, rape in general is foul, but like, especially when there's children involved, like it's... A whole other level of sick. Yeah. Later, he committed suicide by hanging himself in prison on January 30th, 1969. On January of 1960, when Wernos was almost four years old, Diane abandoned her children, leaving them with their maternal grandparents, Lori and Britta. Both alcoholics... Both legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18, 1960. And it's getting better and better for her. By the time Eileen was 11, she began engaging in sexual activities in school, exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. She had also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Ew. Why? Why? Werno said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted her and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. In 1970, at the age of 14, she became pregnant herself, having been raped by a friend of her grandfather's. She gave birth to a boy at a home for unwed mothers on March 23, 1971, and the child was placed for a for adoption, which is probably the best thing for him. Yeah, honestly. Now, I did research on the son, and what I found was that the baby was put up for a closed adoption, which means there was no interaction between Eileen and the child's adopted family. As a result, any information about the identity of the serial killer's uh, biological child is sealed from the public. Now, depending on the type of arrangement that was made, the son himself, who would now be a 50-year-old man, 
may not even know who his biological mother is, but it's up to him, I guess, to do the research if he ever wanted to figure it out, I guess. Or, I mean, these days, I wonder if he did, like, a 23andMe. But yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, like, if he did that, like, if it would lead him to finding out that Eileen was his mom. But can you imagine, like, being, like, kind of excited to find out who your, like, birth mom was and you find out it's someone like her? Like, I can't even imagine. I'd rather just not know, to me, personally. So if he takes the test and it's like, shh, bam, worms yeah. everywhere. Like, Exploded. Like a Pringles can. Mm-hmm. A few months after her son was born, she dropped out of school, um, right about the same time that her grandmother died of liver failure. When she was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house, and she began supporting herself through prostitution and living in the woods near her old home. This is what I mean where it's kind of the sad part. Like, Yeah, because it's like... She did not have good cards dealt to her. And... No. she had. It sounds like she had a horrible childhood no guidance like the only people there for her were not even really there for her they were just like legally her parents didn't want her yeah her grandparents were terrible especially her grandfather like her dad committed suicide so she really had no stable no idea what love is or was and i think it set her up for the rest of her life which is that's what i mean by the sad part of this yeah it is sad that like and that's so many of these kinds of stories, honestly, I feel like over 90% of them, the person who's like the killer or whatever in the story had a bad childhood or had something horrible happen to them in childhood. And then it just like set them up, not excusing people's behaviors whatsoever, but like, it's just sad that that's kind of how it seems to go. Now, on May 27th, 1974, at the age of 18, Eileen was arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado, for driving under the influence, so, which would have been given her a DUI, uh, disorderly contact, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She was later charged with failure to appear. In 1976, she hitchhiked to Florida, where she met 69-year-old Yacht Club President Louis Gratz fell. They married quickly, and the announcement of their nuptials was printed in the local newspaper for society pages. However, Wernos continually involved herself in confrontations at the local bar and went to jail briefly for assault. She also hit fell with his own car, leading him to gain a restraining order against her and then within weeks of the marriage. While Eileen was asked to why she moved to Florida, she went from Michigan to Dayton, Ohio, to Florida. She said it was hard sleeping in the snow, so she had to go someplace warm. She returned to Michigan on July 14, 1976. She was arrested at Bernie's Club, which is in Massalona in Atrium County, and charged with assault and disturbing peace for throwing a cue ball at the bartender's head. Youch. It looks like she might have some itty-bitty anger management issues happening. Just, just a tad bit. On July 17th, her brother Keith died of esophageal cancer, and she was received $10,000 from his life insurance. Wernos and Fell annulled their marriage on the 21st after only nine weeks. Okay. 
thanks my bro now let's get a rental place maybe a beater car let's let's get our shit together right well, <laughs> well, in 1976, Warnos was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. She used the money she inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spent the rest within two months buying luxuries, including a new car, which she wrecked shortly after. Oh, Eileen. Come on, Eileen. Come on. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Come on. Oh my gosh, bish, get it together. Like, a new star. I mean, really? It just, that's where I get frustrated now. Yeah, because it's like she had an opportunity to make good and start on a new path, and she just blew it. Um, in 1978, at the age of 22, she attempted suicide by shooting herself in the stomach. Between the ages of 14 and 22, she actually attempted suicide six times. On May 20th, 1981, Eileen was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for armed robbery of a convenience store where she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison. I mean, $35 and some smokes. That is so not worth it. So not worth it. Seriously? Like, that's not going to get you anything. And you're going to go to prison? Like... I, life choices. Oh, this, she does not know how to make correct life choices. So she was sentenced to prison on May 4th of 1982 and released on June 30th for ni- of 1983. So she wasn't there long. Yeah. On May 1st, 1984, she was arrested again for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank in Key West. On November 30th of 1985, she was named a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. On July 4th of 1986, she was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice um, for providing identification bearing her aunt's name. Miami police officers found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in the stolen car. Girl, thank God. I just feel like I need to, like, some, she needed somebody to be like, this is not, these are not good choices. Like, you need to think about all these things because these are all stupid decisions, like, one after the other, like, nonstop. On June 6, 1986, Volusia County Deputy Sheriff's detained Wernos for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding $200. Now, she was found to be carrying spare ammunition, and the police discovered a twenty-two pistol under the passenger seat she had occupied. Now, on this humid Florida evening in 1986, Tyra Moore... Now, before I continue, I'm going to tell you, Tyra Moore was Shelby in the movie. Mm-hmm. Christina Ricci's character. Switched it up. They're quite opposite. Yes. Quite opposite. I showed her the difference in the pictures today, so. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they really uh, took a. a they glammed it up a little they, bit. Yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> um, so on this humid Florida evening in 1986, Tyra Moore fatefully met Eileen Wernos, an electric blonde. <laughs> It's just kind of funny after you see the picture, like the way they wrote it. <laughs> yeah. At the Zodiac Bar in Daytona. Weeks earlier, Mora had left her conservation hometown of Cadiz, Ohio, to fully embrace being a lesbian. 
Unbeknownst to her, she was falling for a serial killer. As the relationship progressed, Werner submitted that she'd been in and out of jail for theft and armed robbery. She added that she'd been abused, abandoned um, as a child, and often used prostitution as a means to make money. Moore would try to discourage, discourage these behaviors in Wernos, but the relationship took a turn in 1989 when Wernos confessed that she had killed a man. Eileen told her that her victim was a client who had become abusive and that it was out of self-defense. Moore believed her, but when Wernos killed again and again, soon Moore was forced to talk to the police. Her testimony damned Wernos and helped put the serial killer behind bars. That's got to be tough because, like, I can't imagine, like, you know, you're in a relationship with someone and then they, like, say that they killed someone out of self-defense. Then you're put in this really, like, weird position of, like, well, you know, they were just defending themselves. Like, how could I, like, turn them in? You know, it's a sticky situation. But, like, I would be just like her, like, you know, if they could then continue to keep doing it over and over again. Then it's like, okay, this is a bad pattern and clearly it's not just, like, a one-time thing. Tyra was just 24 when she met her predator, lover, downhill, spiral, cray, cray, Eileen. <laughs> um, so from then on, they became inseparable. That was the anchor that Eileen had been looking for. As twisted as it may seem, it really was kind of a love story. Like... If you go by the movies, it was told raw, honesty, upfront. Eileen never shied about who she was. No research showed that Tyra didn't mind being a couch hopper or motel hopping, but the prostitute thing, she said it did. That bothered her. Once I found out that she was prostituting, I did everything I could to help her to stop doing that. But then on November 30th, 1989, Wernos came home from claiming to have shot and killed a client of hers who had raped and beat her. Now, again, if you go by the movie and the documentary, it portrays that Tara convinced her to go back to the streets. They needed money. She was very upset. She was irate. And she was promised that she'd be taken care of if she quit her job. And she hasn't been on um, top of her game she's basically they're scrounging for money they barely go to the bar when they do they like split one beer um so they were just kind of fighting over money and i think tyra like had it this was not what she signed up for although i don't know what she signed up for because clearly the way they met and she didn't take her home to a nice lived in suburban house like right like what did she expect kind of but also, it kind of bothered me, in at least in the movie, like, that when she would, like, want her to go back out and pro- she's like, we need money, you need to go back out there and prostitute. It's like, why don't you go get a job? Like, why, I, I don't, I didn't like that she was, like, making her go back and, like, prostitute and, like, you know, being like, we don't have any money. It's like, well, then do something also to help chip in. Yeah, and I, I mean, she did say that Eileen... I don't know if she didn't want her to work or she just said you don't have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know back then minimum wage probably wasn't a ton. It's not a ton now. Yeah, but, right. Um, but, I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's a bit of an exaggeration, too, on the truth right. of what happened. And 
from Eileen's mind and Tyra's mind, there's probably a happy medium somewhere in the middle of what happened. Yeah, exactly. There's her side, there's her side, and there's the truth. I also watched a direct examination on the video YouTube, and it does show that Eileen was portrayed in the movie that Tyra did, in fact, want her to go back out and encourage her to make money. So while she's on the stand, that's what she's still saying to this day. Like, she wanted me to go back out. She wanted the income. She wanted the money, you know. Moore believed her partner, particularly when the victim was identified as convicted rapist Richard Mallory. But then Werno started to come home with belongings of strangers. Unknown to Moore, Mallory's murder was followed by that of David Spears, who Werno shot six times in May of 90 and then left naked in the woods. That same month, she shot rodeo worker Charles Karskaden. We'll go with that. Nine times and then similarly dumped the corpse. Now, is there any evidence that Eileen's first murder was an act of self-defense? Now, this remained uncertain. With nothing to support her claims, Eileen was convicted of killing Richard Mallory January of 92. But in November of that year, Dateline NBC report that Michelle Gillens discovered that Richard Mallory had served 10 years for a violent rape in another state. Eileen was never given a retrial. See, it's so sad, and it's just so, like, hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, because in certain cases like that, like, if she was genuinely defending herself for her life, like, if this man's trying to rape her, and clearly he had a history of it, of course, like, that's self-defense. Like, she's going to kill him. But then it's also like, okay, why does she keep going out and doing it to multiple people? It's like, were they literally all trying to rape her? I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but also I don't know. Like, it's so tricky. And I found this on about.com slash lesbian life. I don't know why. (laughs) That was one of the sites I found it on. I don't know what the lesbian life makes a difference, whether she was straight or not, but whatever. (laughs) Um, police then traced other stolen items from Mallory to Wernos. A camera from Mallory's automobile found inside the rented warehouse unit, which was opened with a key taken from Wernos. Wernos had rented the unit under an alias. Police traced other items from Mallory's car to people from a pawn shop Wernos had contacted. The nude body of David Spears, 43-year-old construction worker, was found on June 1st, 1990, in Citrus County, he had been shot six times in the torso. Charles Karskaden was a few days after Spears' body was discovered. His body was discovered in Pasco County. Uh, the part-time rodeo worker had been shot nine times in the chest and the stomach, and he was 40 years old. Troy Burris, a 50-year-old salesman on August 4th, 1990, less than a week after he was reported missing. He was found fairly decomposed. The medical examiner said they were able to determine that the cause of death was two gunshots to the torso. So she's got, like, really good aim because they're all torso yeah. shots. But I think being in the car probably makes it a little easier. Charles Dick Humphreys. I like how you said that. Charles Dick Humphreys. Um, he was a retired Air Force major. Police chief and Florida child abuser investigator Dick Humphreys was found dead in Marion County 
On September 12, 1990, the body was fully clothed and had suffered multiple gunshots to the head and torso. Humphrey's car was later found in Suwannee County. Man, all these torsos. All the shots are in the torsos. 65-year-old Peter Sims. Um, he left Central Florida and headed to New Jersey in June 1990. His car was found in Orange Springs on July 4th of 1990. Though Seems' body has never been found, witnesses described two women near the car in Orange Springs. And last but not least, um, the partially disrobed body of Walter Antonio, who was 62 years old, was found November 19th in 1990 in a remote part of Dixie County. He had been shot four times in the back of the head. Antonio's car was found five days later in Brevard County. Man. And you know, there's, I feel like there's got to be more. Don't you think? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, like, I feel like there's definitely got to be more than just these guys. I listened to, like, like I said, some of these YouTube videos of um, I listened to some of the interrogation. I've listened to like the Dateline stuff, and I've listened to some of the examination when she was on the stand. And in one of the videos, she swears to this day, like they wanted, they knew what she was doing. She swears that the cops knew she's killing all these people, and they just let her do it. They were let, they were building a serial killer female, and that she was cleaning up the streets. She was taking all these people out cleaning up the trash for them, blah, blah, blah. And she was just, like, Dead convinced that they were letting her do this for a while before they... I'm I not mean, saying that's true. Yeah. She's a little one flew of the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. so I feel like that was maybe maybe her way of justifying a little bit of what she was doing for herself. Right. I don't know, but that was one part of, of her defense or something part of like her that. Defense. Yeah. Because yeah. I just don't know, like, it's hard to believe that, I mean... I mean, yes, they were, all these guys were picking up a prostitute, whatever, but it's hard to believe that they were all, like, horrible people who, like, had the intention of, like, raping somebody or whatever. Like, you know, even in the movie, there were several guys that they showed who clearly were not there to... Well, she let that one go. Yeah, the one guy who was... was Mental disabled somehow. Mm -hmm. And he was, like, a a virgin or something, so she, you know, she was like, she let him go. But even, like, the old guy... Um, the, the old business guy. Like, yeah, he, she could have let him go. Yeah, because he didn't really do anything. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, technically, you know? Like, she was trying to prostitute. I think he said he, trigger words or something that triggered her. Yeah, that, like, And then, you know, he got out of the car. And I did feel bad for him because he's crying, my wife, my wife, she needs me. Like Right, yeah, because she was disabled or something. Yeah. So then it's like, ugh. That, that's, like, tough. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a sticky situation. On July 4th of that year, Wernos drove her car off the road, and while inspecting the abandoned crash site, police recovered prints from the car, which later traced to Daytona Pawn Shop, where Wernos had sold Peter Sims' belongings. Now, in the movie, I remember that scene that the crash, it was a red car, and I think it was like a Grand Dam or a Grand Prix of some sort. Yeah. And, but when they did that scene, they portrayed it that it wasn't Eileen driving, it was Shelby driving, 
and she like laid into Shelby. They were fighting and arguing and whatever, and then they crashed it. And then she was like, "Well, now we gotta freaking leave it and go." Like, and people came out to like, "You guys okay?" And they were like embarrassingly trying to drive away with the car, but they <laughs> couldn't get it. Didn't work. Yeah. And they just left it. So again, I don't know if that was just for the movie. Or if she's taking the fall for it, or if she actually really did do it. Right. It is kind of interesting to think, like, you know, um, Shelby, who more in real life, like, saved herself by working with the police and telling them everything and testifying against Eileen. But it's like, I'm very curious to know all the parts that she played in it, you know? Because she had to be a little bit more... uh, somewhat more involved than I yeah think she, she was says. very ignorant in like books and money and math and stuff like that but i feel she was pretty street smart like you know she yeah. she knew how to survive she knew how to get by now i don't want to say super smart because she got arrested for a lot of shit so obviously right she got caught a lot which isn't smart right <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly so, with Bernos wanted for a murder and her face plastered all across the news, uh, Moore left for Florida to go stay with her family in Pennsylvania. Um, she finally agreed to talk to the police. Bernos' rampage came to an end when the police arrested her on a warrant at the Last Resort Biker Bar in Orange County, Florida. I think it's like Orange, Florida. I don't think it's the same as Orange County. Okay. On January 9th, 1991, authorities approached Tyra Moore, then the following day finding her ready to cooperate in exchange for immunity. So now she's put up in Daytona Motel. She's supplied with food. They even gave her Budweiser's. (laughs) Um, Moore was instructed to call Warnos in jail until she admitted her crimes. She made 11 calls in total, frantically claimed to be terrified of being charged for the murders herself. When Wernos asked if she was being recorded, Moore said no. You're innocent, she told her over the phone. I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, I have to confess, and I will. And I feel like on that phone call, just the way Tyra was talking, she knew she was caught. Like, she knew Yeah. the way it went from, like, where are you at, what's going on, you know, to, you know, you know, Asking the questions of, like, why did you do this and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like there's a dead silence and then she knew, like... Yeah, because the vibe was different and, like, just the way she was wording things was different. So then it's like, okay, something's up, like, clearly. So, yeah. So on January 16th, she tells her, you know, I don't want to get messed up for something I did. I don't want you to get messed up for something I did. You know, she told the police officers and reported that, I know I'm going to miss her for the rest of my life, but she's got to make right. Uh, Her trial began on January 13th of 1992. Now, this scene in the movie was actually kind of sad for me because you can kind of see the defeat in both the girls, like when they're on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously more so for Tyra because she's got police watching her but you could tell she's hurt even though she has to do this it's not something she wants to do but she knows it's the right thing to do um and you can tell that they you know they kind of pitted each other against each other the girls against each other and you could just i don't know to me you could just see that there really was love there 
and you could hear in Eileen that she knows it's over and she's just she's so upset because the only love that she's ever had and it, it's over it's done it's gone yeah. and that's the part I feel sad for because she finally found love but she was still doing all the wrong things right like like it backfired and it's like yeah because she never had love you know not even just romantically but like with anyone like with family or friends or anything so that did have to sting I'm sure but it seems like she kind of understood that more kind of had to do what she had to do to like protect herself and don't get it twisted I'm not saying because of love she should not go to jail absolutely right, she right. should be in prison for life yeah and for all the lives that she did kill I'm just saying I can't felt sad for the overall story of she never got the love she wanted. Right, like for her as a human being. She just never got, yeah, the cards were just never dealt to her. Yeah. Um, she just couldn't get her shit together, and she she loved love, and she wanted it, but... She's making the wrong, the wrong decisions. Um, it was not, unfortunately, meant for her in this lifetime, and hopefully... The next lifetime will be better for her. I don't know, but love just couldn't save her this time. No. Now, Tyra became a star witness in the case. She took the stand on the fourth day of the trial, provided 75 minutes worth of testimony. It was only the second time since Eileen was arrested that the two of them had seen each other. She claimed that Wernos had never mentioned Mallory having hurt her before she killed him and that she appeared unharmed. And she calmly recounted killing him. They were just sitting around watching TV and drinking a few beers. And she seemed totally fine. Uh, Moore left the court that day without ever meeting Warno's eyes. It was the last time they ever saw each other as the judge sentenced Eileen to death via electric chair. Which she was executed on October 9th of 2002. Gosh, I feel like, you know, there's been, I think, a few different ways of death by you know penalty whatever and i feel like electric chair it has to be like the worst like because i feel like nowadays i don't even know if they do the electric chair anymore but i feel like most of the time they do the injection yeah that just, just kind of puts you to you. sleep yeah which is like more humane right the electric chair oh my gosh i mean i get it like she took a lot of people's lives so it's like again such a sticky weird situation but like could you imagine being the person who worked there, like, electrocuting someone to death? I can't, I could never do that. Even if I knew they were, like, a horrible person, like, I just, I personally couldn't do that. Yeah, that's, that gotta be something. Yeah. Um, so, this quote was uh, one of Eileen's last quotes. Right before she died, I think during her sentence, uh, she says, I'm good with the Lord. I'm fine with him. And I know how you were raised, all right? And I know how people are fucking thinking out there. And fuck, it's got to be that way. I've got to tell you, though shall not kill. Shit and all that. But that's not the way the world works, Shelby. Because I'm out there every fucking day living it. Who the fuck knows what God wants? People kill each other every day for what? Hmm, politics or for religion? And they're heroes. No, no, there's a lot of shit I can't do anymore, but killing is not one of them, and let those fucking bastards go out and rape someone else isn't either. So, I'm sorry, that was, that was not her last... That one was 
um, her justifying her actions to Shelby. Sorry, we'll get into the last quote in a little bit. <laughs> so, I am one who is seriously hates human life and would kill again. So what's the point? Let's move on. I'm asking here for the Florida Supreme Court to step in and do something. Now, that was in a letter that she wrote to the Supreme Court pleading for execution in 2001. So mm. she asked for it. Okay. Interesting. Is Eileen Warnos really considered to be the first female serial killer? Because um, that's kind of was hyped that she was the first one. No. Although the media hyped her to be the first female serial killer, in reality, women have been murdering just as long as men. Their methods are usually somewhat different, often preferring to a gun, but maybe why Eileen was wrongly tortured. Um, the first female serial killer, she killed her victims by the way of gun instead of stereotypical devices that women serial killers have often used in the past. How many murders did Eileen Wernos really commit? Eileen admitted to killing seven men, including a missionary. She was the only convicted of killing six men because the missionary's body was never found. In the film Monster, this missing seventh man is very similar to the last man that Eileen murdered. Or Charlize Theron. <laughs> um, that was in the DailyStar.com that I found those. And... While on death row, Eileen really legally adopted. Yes, although it's not shown in the film, while on death row, Eileen was befriended and legally adopted by Arlene Perel, who claimed to have received her orders to do so from God. CrimeLibrary.com. So she was adopted while she was in prison. How old was she? By the time she was in prison? Yeah, like... In the 40s? Yeah. Huh. Weird. Yeah, I don't, I guess. I'd be like, I mean, if shit goes wrong at home, I guess I can legally adopt you. You can adopt still. me. Oh my gosh. It's weird, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Aline wrote Florida's seventh Supreme Court justice on two different occasions requesting that they cancel her pending appeals regarding her guilt, her preference for setting of an execution date she stated while i say fine and dandy so be it if you'd like i'll be more than happy to take a polygraph um just you know to be much more justified before the proceedings so she's pushing to get executed so she basically would rather die than sit in prison is what i'm taking from this yeah um her last words these ones are her last words <laughs> not confused with the first time i thought <laughs> So last words, I'd just like to say I'm sailing with rocks and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. On June 6th, like the movie, Big Mothership and all, I'll be back. I don't want to speculate, so I'll leave it up to you. Figure out the meeting. I was about to say, what the hell A is lot of people are kind of like, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? I wonder if, like, her, if more her ex-girlfriend, like, because, you know, they were together and she probably obviously understood the way that she spoke, if she totally knew what that meant. I, I don't know. Because that makes no sense. <laughs> Maybe it's like I'm coming back with a vengeance, I'm coming back with a bang, I don't Maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. So, um, how did the monster director, Patty Jenkins, obtain her material for the film? Making her major po motion picture, um, the filmmaking debuted 
Patty Jenkins obtained a lot of her research material for the film by exchanging letters with the real Eileen before her death. Um, CNN interviewed Jenkins, and they also said that, you know, she used court documents, a lot of footage, interviews, all the transcripts, depositions from those trials, and there have been tons of books written about them and all talking to Eileen. I was going to read the book, but both of them that I've seen on Amazon told me they were both horrible, so I didn't get it. Yeah. Like, there was no good reviews on them. Yeah, yeah, because I, I wouldn't have wasted my time then. So if you know a good one, shout it out to us. Charlize was, in fact, the producer of the film. The CNN interview directed Patty Jenkins said the following about Theron's additional role on the set. It was great. She really signed on as a producer because I think she knew, as I did, that there's a long road for a movie like this. And it can get pushed and pulled in all kinds of directions. So instead of being this, overlord as a producer she really put herself in a position where she could really defend what it was and wanted it to be and she had the fight for it she killed it Uh, killed it i don't know she got this little thing like an oscar or something yeah i mean so so weird (laughs) so how concerned were filmmakers with realistically of this being a true story Speaking about the details of the film, director Patty said that all those details in the film are meticulous and they were worked on a lot. And I'm really obsessed, obsessive about details and so Charlie's. And I can't stand characters with contradictory information. And that's one of the reasons why hopefully there's a level of reality here because we made it that reality. In addition to Monster, there have been several films on television programs about Eileen. Uh, Nick Broomfield directed two documentaries, The Selling of a Serial Killer, Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer, um, made-for-television movie called Overkill, The Eileen Werner Story, um, and Eileen Wernos has also been featured on 60 Minutes A&E and Court TV. So there's no reason why you can't find information oh yeah it's a ton of it while eileen was so accurately portrayed by charlie Theron, just how accurate was christina ricci's character um her friend slash lover now they say like uh not very accurate at least physically i mean to begin with the companion did not go by the name shelby her name is tyra and she was a strawberry redhead The lack of resemblance was likely intentional for legal reasons. Tyra is still alive and could sue the filmmakers. Girlswithguns.org Yeah, I mean, probably smart on their move if Tyra wanted nothing to do with, like, being a part of the movie. Like, very smart, like, to make her completely opposite age-wise, look-wise, name, like, everything. Yeah. Um, Charlize Theron physically transformed herself for this role. The fuck she did. 100%. (laughs) Eileen, or, so Charlize Theron underwent quite drastic transformation to play this part of a serial killer. Um, she began her career as a model as a native South African before becoming to the U.S. um, as a ballerina with Jeffrey Ballet, packed between 25 and 30 pounds on for the role, Makeup artist Tony G put on her makeup, this including two pairs of teeth, 
sculpted by R. Sekamato, which had to learn how to speak. Uh, gelatin weighted down her eyelids, which caused them to sag, making her look tired. Other than her teeth, no prosthetics were used, just layers of paint. That's so crazy. Which I, I mean, thought it was a prosthetic, actually. You can really, like, tell, like, they were meticulous with, like, transforming her face because it looked realistic. Like, she still looked like a, like a person. But, like, she just looked nothing like herself. Like, she's so... She's just very beautiful in real life, and they really roughed her up uh, oh. for this role. But I gotta wonder, like, was it fun, like, trying to gain the 30 pounds? You can eat whatever you want. Oh, my God. I would love that. I I do that, and I don't get paid for it. So. <laughs> um, I got a lot of my information at capitalpunishmentcontext.org, chasingthefrog.com, allthatsinteresting.com, and very scary people. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Oh, that's just my heart going out to Donnie. Of course. Her number one love. <laughs> so that's my, uh, the story of Eileen Wernos. Um, and she was quite the monster. She, she really was. Um, such a, I feel like it's like such a controversial story. Like, it's so back and forth and it's so weird. I don't think, obviously, anything that has to do with like her childhood justifies what she did at all but it is still you know from a human perspective just sad to know that that's pretty much what led her down this path yeah like i said i get sad about the love part i mean i get her mom had her at 14 oh my god that's my daughter's age now she came home clearly um she cannot take care of a baby now lucky for charlotte all her parents are stable. Yeah. Um, so obviously we could take the child on. But I get there were some not stable people in her life. I really feel like Eileen should have been put up for adoption right after birth. Yeah. Yeah. But she was married to an 18-year-old at 14. So, like, what was her grandparents like? Crazy, obviously, too. You mm-hmm. know? So it's like... To, I would, there's no way I would sign for Charlotte to get married this year. And I'm sure, I mean, not to like fully speculate, but if her grandfather sexually abused her, I wouldn't be surprised if he did that to his daughter also. Oh, like, absolutely. So it was just like, a, it's just a cycle, you know? Like, just some people just really need to not have children. Yeah, because if an 18-year-old comes knocking at my door for my 14-year-old... <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, rifles. Oh, you like... better watch out because that's, uh, yeah. that's rough. Well, thank you guys for logging in, tuning on. Um, again, don't forget to start sending in your donate tickets at horrorwineandcrime.com or horrorwineandcrime at gmail.com through PayPal um, and start to earn your way to a Camp Sleepaway Summer Horror Basket. Heck yeah, you don't want to miss that. You have until the end of August. So get your get your tickets in, peeps. Um, but yeah, we will see you all. Or I guess talk to you all. We don't really see you. But we'll talk to you all next week with another episode. Um, next week's going to be a fun one. Fun and also horrifying for my soul, personally. But it's definitely 100% lighter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Much lighter. Um, I might have trouble sleeping personally, but that's my own issues. Um, (laughs) but you know. But it's a fun episode. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
So definitely want to stick around uh, and listen for that. But until next time, stay creepy. We got to go. Bye. Bye. Bye.